you cannot lead others if you don't lead yourself first. And the way you lead yourself first is doing what is instinctually designed in you to do. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer. Welcome to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and they call me the Vibrant Coach, and I am here for part two, people, part two with Julie Henry. She is amazing. I had so much fun with her last time. I've invited her back, and she uses insights from wildlife and wild places to help leaders drive and survive change. She is the president of Finish Line Leadership an author of Wisdom from the Wild, The Nine Unbreakable Laws of Leadership from the Animal Kingdom. And we covered several of these in our first episode. And I was like, we got to finish what we started. So uh, I brought Julie back. Now she's a former zoo and aquarium senior leader. And Julie has worked with over 55 organizations across corporate, nonprofit, government, and association sectors. And she has yet to see a wolf in the wild or snarkle with the whale sharks, but hopes to soon. I am so glad to have Julie Henry from Sarasota, Florida, back on the podcast. How are you? Hey, Nicole, it's good to see you. And I have to acknowledge how awesome and on brand you look. I love I love your scarf. You're very festive oh. and representing the animals. Well, <laughs> I wore this just for you today. Yes, so I'm all excited. Yeah. And so I don't know, when, when I was a little girl growing up, Julie, I loved animals and watching all the, I mean, I'm a lot older than you, but like we had like this um, Wild Kingdom show on TV that I watched all the time when we were just, yeah. we were just raised on understanding how the, the animal kingdom uh, works. So I'm curious about you. How did you get drawn into this work with animals? You know, most of us just dream of a career where we get to hang out with the lions, tigers and bears, but you've done it. Tell us a little bit about how you've pulled that off. Yeah, you know, and your experience was my experience. You know, I was a little girl growing up in Chicago and and I was always dreaming of the sea, but it didn't matter that I didn't live on the ocean. I was just always outside. You know, if you couldn't find me, it was just look outdoors, you know, follow the bike trail or file follow the <laughs> the trampled down leaves because I just wanted to explore. You know, I remember really vividly, um, my cat, um, had, uh, was, would roll in a skunk every night and come back in the morning smelling like skunk. And, and eventually after about three days, my dad found this giant skunk carcass in the bushes. And my sister and brother were like, ew. And I was like, awesome. I need to bring that into school for show and tell. And my dad was like, no. And I'm like, well, why not? And so that was always my experience. So when I went to college, I just studied animals. I studied zoology because that's what I loved, but I didn't want to be a doctor. And I did some internships and realized that as much as I loved science, I wasn't a really good scientist. I didn't, didn't, I just didn't love it the way that I needed to. And my dad was a leadership development trainer and my mom was a teacher. Right. So I always had these notions of, okay, here's my love of science and nature. I've literally sat at the feet of my father in training rooms since I was 17 years old, like watching him train people and airplane manufacturing parts um, firms and all kinds of things. And then I've watched my mom work with people as well. And I always knew I'd stitch all of those things together, but I, I didn't know how until I realized that at zoos and aquariums, I could do all of it. I could teach everybody from little tiny kids to people who had never, ever seen um, an elephant before. And they're standing in front of elephants or tasted saltwater. But my passion was always, uh, you know, every, every place I worked, I would always say, Hey, all of these corporations that are around us, they all do leadership retreats and we are different. And I bet if we reach out to them even more than we do right now, they'll bring a team here. And then I want to help them learn about leadership through the eyes of the animals. And that's what I just did every place I went until I decided to do it on my own. But it was always my, my driving force and my passion. Mm, that's fantastic. And so everybody don't miss this is that Julie is like living in her calling. And I think that's a big, huge part of leadership and building a culture is that you have people that are really drawn, drawn toward the purpose, really drawn towards the mission that that work is going to do. And so, I mean, just imagine a world where everybody you know, had leadership development and everybody was operating at a very high level. I mean, we'd make more monies in these corporations. People would be more fulfilled. It's amazing. So um, it's it's very, very cool to talk to somebody who's so passionate about what they do. So I'm so glad to be talking with you. So, so you know, you, you went to school, you went to college and you decided to major. Tell me all about that a little bit. Where'd you, where'd you, where'd yeah, you go? I, I went to school in Southern Ohio at Miami University of Ohio, and I was majoring in zoology. And then while I was there, I decided to also 
also get a degree in education because I realized I needed to learn how to teach people. Um, and I was a super shy kid. It was not natural for me to talk at all. I'd prefer to kind of hang back. Um, but I had a major professor in zoology and a major professor in education who got it. And the two of them together said, we recognize that you have this really different path. And my major professor in education actually had worked at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And so she said, I, I understand how you want to stitch this all together. And she actually um, wrote an endorsement for the book. I mean, that's how full circle this is because it was in her class that my senior year project was, hmm, let me think about how I could teach kids about coral reefs. Well, I need to relate that to business because I can cast the net wider. And that was in 1996. And 25 years later, her college senior year thesis that she graded is behind me on my bookcase. And it's that, you know, um, that was the breeding ground, the foundation for this book. So it was always about stitching it all together and then just getting internships, digging in and, and learning from the ground up. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, we started going through the laws last time um, that are in your book. So again, tell us the title of your book and then maybe pick us up where we left off and share a little bit more. Yeah. So the book is Wisdom from the Wild, the Nine Unbreakable Laws of Leadership from the animal kingdom. And I think, you know, what I do want to say this time too, is that we didn't talk about why unbreakable laws, because when I got down to thinking about what can I really teach leaders about their work from wildlife and wild places? Well, when I am in leadership roles and, and positions and, and starting to worry or starting to think, where's my vision you know, going to take me, et cetera. And things seem squishy. You know, you've done all this work, you've learned, you've gone to college, you've gone to training sessions, you've read books, you have mentors. I mean, we do it all and it's awesome. But at the end of the day, you're thinking, well, I'm not, I'm just not really sure, you know, how to make this decision, whichever. But if you remember that some things are always true, right? Like right. if you leave a plant, by the window, eventually it's going to bend towards the light, right? Cheetahs cannot run forever. They will eventually slow down. Like there are things that were just always true. They're biologically true. And that was the basis for me thinking about these are unbreakable laws. And as a leader, that gives me great comfort, especially right now when things are, I mean, who has led through the time of COVID? Zero people. <laughs> so right. when leadership seems messy and there's no pathway forward, you double down on not only there are on their unbreakable things, but then you, you are instinctually designed to make that good decision or not. Maybe that decision is not the, not the best. Then you make the next decision. Uh, but that's why it was, it's, a, it's an idea around unbreakable laws. Yeah, because what people need, I'm hearing you say, is um, some, some principles to kind of prop up what they're doing, right? Like, okay, so I know this is a, a correct principle, right? So I can't, I can also leave the plant by the window. It will lean towards the window because everybody needs some light. Nobody wants to be in the dark. Hello, there's a whole thing there. But then those days, <laughs> but you got to water that plant. Yeah. You got to repot the plant every year or so, right? You know, you got to make sure the roots are healthy because if the root isn't healthy, then the flower won't come out on top. I mean, we could talk about plant analogies and business for hours. Maybe that's your next book. <laughs> the next one, right? You got the animals and now we're going to do the plants. Um, yes. But the truth of the matter is, is you need to kind of get your head in the game. You know, um, Julie, one of the exercises I do when I work with leaders, I bet you do something similar is I talk to them about having a leadership philosophy because, you know, I have leaders who like kind of talk to me and they'll be like, I don't understand what people are thinking. You know, why don't they think the way I think? And I'm like, well, I'll tell you why, because you're not exactly clear on how you think and having a philosophy that you can say, here's my philosophy. This is how I roll. I believe this. I know this is true. I know if we do this, this will happen. You know, here's my school of thinking. Um, and so your laws give people a school of thinking that you really can't disagree with. Mm, I love that. I mean, you're so right, because that's something, whether I'm working with leaders or whether I'm talking to my own children, the importance of language and how we're communicating is key um, because people are coming from all angles. And the other reason I wanted to use wildlife and wild places is because I feel that that levels the playing field. Like you said, you loved animals as a kid. You don't necessarily work in wildlife career right now, but you still love animals. Probably you probably have a story about some animal in your life. You could tell me, and it doesn't matter if I come in and I have a Harvard MBA and you barely graduated high school. Suddenly if we're talking animals, 
we're on the same playing field. It doesn't matter if I've worked for the company for six months and you've worked for 35 years, it's levels the playing field. So animals take leadership to a level that is accessible, that is approachable, and that is non-threatening. You know, once we start to get, there's a time and a place for all of these layers of leadership leadership um, academia, <laughs> if you will. And then there's a time and a place for like, hey, 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 let's dial it down. Like when we talk about resilience and I talk about watching the peng, peng, uh, excuse me, the pelicans, not the, we could watch the penguins too, but we'll talk about pelicans here. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, my law with them is resilience is instinct and action. Resilience is instinct and action. That's my lead law with resilience. Because when you watch the pelicans, watch what they do, right? As they're flying, as they're diving, as they're sitting, as they're getting ready for the next time, they know they are doing their resilience behaviors differently than penguins. Let's pick up penguins, right? Penguins and pelicans live totally different lives. Both of them are leaning into their instinct. And as leaders, we're overthinking it or we get stuck on, well, you know, resilience is my 30 minutes of meditation. Like, okay, that's a part of it. But resilience is about understanding your energy management. You know, we spend all this time ramping up for things, projects, meetings, presentations, et cetera. We don't often build in the time to ramp down as well, but the pelican does. The pelican sits on that water and it gets ready for that next time. As leaders, we're like, oh, next meeting. Oh, I have to talk to everybody after that. Yep, I can totally jump on my phone and get on that phone call. And so the activity that I lead them through is a time study and in scientific terms, we call it an ethogram, but it's a very objective time study to really understand where you're spending your time with an eye towards where are your instinctual resilience actions and how can you build them in more? Because not only is it important for you, but as a leader, people are watching you. And if you are not doing it, you are not modeling it for the team and the people in your lives. Right. Well, did I hear you right? I think what you said is you've got to have downtime so you have better on time. Yeah, you got it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'll just share with everybody real quick. Um, she's exactly right. So don't doubt it for one second. If you're thinking, oh, she right. I do do that all day. I jump from one meeting to the other. And I, well, you know, eventually you're going to have this thing called overwhelm or burnout or whatever. And it, it will come. And I'm not being doomsday here. I'm just saying that, again, we're just biological animals like the pot pelican. And we're eventually going to get sick or enter into a, maybe a depression or something like that. I mean, these are very important things to take care of your physical body. And, and I've often talked about on the podcast the idea that you need to have like three different kinds of days uh, on your calendar, one is like an on day where you're on and you're doing lots of energy. That's one level. And then not trying to integrate that with days where you're, you know, trying to have your head down, work on strategic planning or something like that. So, you know, working on your energy levels is absolutely essential so that you can pull yourself back up to go do more work and to, and to push the project or the, the business forward. So mm -hmm. I absolutely love what you're saying there. So, so talk to me a little bit more about the Pelicans. So you say that they are absolutely resilient. Can you share a little bit more of the story of how they do that? Yeah. So, you know, pelicans is a, um, it's an animal that I did research on in college. And so when I came down here to nice. the beach and I brought my big spotting scope, it looks like a giant telescope. And literally we were looking at three behaviors, watching how the pelican takes off and then fly, 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 watching how it's diving and looking for food. And then whether or not it's actually successful in getting food. So swallowing the food or not, and then sitting on the water, regaining energy, or maybe, um, you know, deciding or mapping out its route for the next time you go again. But the thing that I love about pelicans too, is you look at a pelican and it just is such a big, heavy body bird. It just doesn't even look like it should be able to fly. I mean, it just doesn't. They're, they're, they're not right. very it's a little like, prehistoric looking actually, right? <laughs> yeah. They're not like the, the poster child of like, look at that, you know, the eagle soaring to the sky, right? And the pelican's like, is it going to make it off the water? Like, okay, right. it will because they have hollow bones inside, right? That's why the pelican is actually so much lighter than it looks like. So right there to me, it's, oh, that point of leadership, or you are suddenly leading a team that you don't really look like you're fit to do, or you're in a new role that people are saying, why are you, why is that person in that role? Well, you are uniquely designed for that role 
And your instinct can lead you in the instinctual actions you need in order to put your resilience in place. So it's this pelican taking off. It's the fact that when it's cloudy, it's actually sometimes easier for these animals to find the the prey that they're looking for because the sun is not blinding them, et cetera. So it's not overthinking it, but it's being very definitive. So back to my research of these pelicans, that formed the basis of the activity I do with leaders today. It's literally... What is it doing for how long? And then the category. So what does that mean? Is that rest? Is that action? Is that strategic? What is that? Mm, that's fantastic. So uh, I, what what happens to the leaders when they do do the exercise and they figure out how they're spending their time? What, what happens to them then? Um, some of them probably want to like explain or make excuses for what's going on. Um, but, but at the end, what are you trying to, what's, what, what do you advise them to do once they figure out all the things? Cause I, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, the other thing that's happening right now, Julie, is people are working 24 seven. Like they're telling me, Oh, my boss texts me at 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, first of all, if you're the boss doing that, you need to be sitting on the Stop water. <laughs> yes. right. You know, right. you, can, you can be thinking about how you're going to map things out uh, for tomorrow, but you should certainly let everybody rest on the team. I mean, why mm-hmm. are we pestering people at 10 o'clock at night? So, <laughs> so when people looked at how they're using their time, what, what are the ahas they have or some great things people do moving forward? Like maybe strategies they put in place. Yeah. You know, it's such a great question. So my, my first response in my head as you were talking is my favorite comment that a leader has made is, oh my gosh, I wish I would have done this last week. I really needed it last week because we're what? Going into our busy season and our budgeting season or something, something. Um, So that was one of my favorite comments. But I get a lot of people saying what I talked about before. Oh, I see that I don't put it on the back end of things, right? Um, And then from there, they're more apt to say, I really do need to set this boundary because we teach people how to treat us. And so is it, I shut my door for 30 minutes. You can have an open door policy, but you can shut your door for 30 minutes and take whatever time you need to reflect. Um, They've also used this as a benchmark tool. Okay, here we are, you know, it's December. We've just done this. Let's reconvene in three months and let me see where I'm at. And when I have people do it, I have it like you were saying, I love your description of different days. What I what I try to do with leaders is okay, look at a work day, quote unquote, and a and a not work day, quote unquote, specifically because work is bleeding into all of these lives. And some Absolutely. people you know, and some people who have super regimented schedules um, will start to realize. I do the same thing every day, but I'm recognizing that I can still have more influence over my schedule than I thought. So it gives them um, ownership, right? It gives them um, empowerment. And I don't like the word permission. I don't think that that's what people need. I think instead they need a kick in the butt. That's what I'm going to say. Like, like they need to say like, look, because like, like y'all, y'all like go forward because you cannot lead others if you don't lead yourself first. And the way you lead yourself first is doing what is instinctually designed in you to do. I mean, I am an introvert at heart. So I know after this podcast, I have a meeting, but I've purposely scheduled a meeting 45 minutes later, because I'm going to have to walk around my house and be quiet because I need to recharge. And some people are not like that. Some people are like, I'm good. I I need, I recharge by talking with people right away. Whatever it is for you, you've got to put that in place. So this resilience activity is a very objective way to do that. And I will say the the last thing I'll say here, because I could talk about this for a long time, is it's really hard for people to categorize. But that's the scientific part. It's not just a time study. It is all of the whether like social media, email, communication, something. That's the important. That's the magical part of this activity. You can do time studies all day long, but if you don't categorize it and look at your trends, that's where you can start to see the effect on your work, on your behavior, on your health, on your impact, and, and how you can proactively make changes rather than, I'm just going to put a half an hour in to meditate. Like, mm-mm, that's not a sustainable change, and it's not the big picture for where you need to go. Yeah. And so I'm also kind of hearing you talk about kind of a concept. I'll throw this in here. Everybody write this down. Um, it's the Covey time matrix. Do you, have you studied this thing? Love okay. it. Okay. So um, it's not only, 
you know, how your days go, but then what are the activities you're working on? And then how do you figure out which ones to keep, which ones to get rid of, you know, get yourself organized. But in Covey's time matrix, he talks about quadrant two activities. That's where you want to spend your time if you're the leader. And that's where you're doing things that are very important, but they, they don't seem that urgent but they're absolutely imperative for making a better future unfold. And then of course, quadrant one is where it's uh, urgent and it's important. So those are the firefighting activities that you're doing and answering the phone and jumping from one call to the other or whatever, you know, figuring out how to use, use that time uh, more efficiently, see if somebody else could fight fires, you could systemize things, which I heard Mm -hmm. the Pelican systemizes things and sits Mm -hmm. and thinks about mapping Mm -hmm. out the plan right Mm -hmm. um and then of course there's quadrant two where it's not important but it's urgent somebody's knocking on your door you don't know why they're at your door and then (laughs) quadrant uh three uh, yeah one two yeah quadrant four Mm -hmm. which is you know it's not important it's completely not urgent but you're doing it anyways like playing solitaire on your phone so (laughs) and, and that's that's an interesting thing too it's like humans Talking about difference between humans and animals, humans um, can waste time. Do animals waste time, Julie? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like well, if a pelican, really yeah, like a pelican is resting before it's flying again because it's instinctual. But also, oh my goodness, if they don't have enough energy to fly again, well, then they will not eat. <laughs> and if they do not eat, they will starve. I mean, it's a biological certainty. And so do they waste time? Probably, probably some animals waste time, but certainly not at the level that people do. And I don't think they're as susceptible to this dopamine um, reflex the way we are with technology. And there are certain animals that are super social, right? There's, there's social creatures, there's lone creatures. You watch the sandhill cranes, there's just two of them walking around all the time. It's so lovely. But I would say animals, whether they're thinking about it or not, are aware of the fact that energy conservation is the name of the game to not only survival, but also living your best life. And I don't know why we think as humans, I don't think we think it. I think we're just conditioned. I think we've watched people in our lives or, right? That's our mentors or, or gosh, we want to climb the ladder. I mean, we've all been there. I would think I have, at least I can speak for my own occasion. So you're watching people like, well, this is just what I'm supposed to do. And I don't really know what energy conservation is. Like, well, you know what it is? It's a resiliency strategy that needs to be in place for you to lead instinctually and make the impact you need to have. Right. And so I just had an aha and I think I'm a little late, but bear with me, people. Um, When I talk about a vibrant culture, but we translate it back to the animal kingdom, it's like you got to have a great habitat. Right. Mm. And so, you know, you said, I don't know that, you know, they're, they're, they're not getting the dopamine reaction that we get from technology and everything, but, but our, our current habitat um, we can let the habitat affect us or we can create a habitat or build a vibrant culture around ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So that it's we're more intentional about things. All right. So I love that. So habitat and culture equal sign. All right. So, love it. Love <laughs> all right, it. so my, the last time we were talking, we were talking about the platypus. So tell us a little, I want to talk about the platypus for a little bit here. So tell me about the platypus. We all know that this is a crazy animal. You know, I don't think I've ever seen one in a zoo or, in, I mean, help me. Where, where yeah. do I get my eyes on a platypus? Yeah, well, I'm going to show, so so for all of the, your listeners, I'm holding up a picture here right now, this like crazy looking animal, which is only about, you know, like 12, 12 inches long, but you know, we've got a duck bill and a beaver tail and webbed feet. And this, this is a mammal that happens to lay eggs. I mean, how crazy is that? There are just it's not that many egg laying mammals. And I, this animal lives in Australia. And when I was in Australia years and years ago, I really wanted to see a platypus. And so we went on one of those, you know, like crazy wildlife trek adventures. Like we'll go find a platypus. Great. You know, we were hiking across people's farms, which is (laughs) so crazy, but we ended up with these binoculars, like looking down into this waterway. And our, our guide was like, there it is. There's a platypus. And you know, you know, when you're like, Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what it is because we're so far away and this animal's relatively small, but it's like, I'm just going to say that I saw it because I want to see it so much. Um, but it's so super funky and designed. But to me, when I think about where leaders are right now in the end of 2021, everything that we've been going through, everything that you've been leading, 
the leader that you are today is nowhere near the leader you were last year. And of course, not the leader you were at the end of 2019. So I think sometimes when leaders look in the mirror, at least I do as well, and some of the leaders I've talked with, you feel like you suddenly you have web feet because you've had to learn how to paddle differently. Suddenly you feel like, look, here's this duck bill and I don't really this is not at all what I intended to be like, but yet this is how I've evolved to be. But that awareness around the idea that, okay, but this is how I've evolved to at this point. And I can intentionally decide what I take forward into 2022. Do I need to retain this beaver tail that I've, what's my coping strategy that I've put into place to direct my team and direct my energies? You know, what is the, the, you know, quite literally the reproduction strategy of this platypus is to lay a leg. Well, do you feel like you've like done something totally different to birth new ideas and have innovation? Yeah, probably over this last year. Well, do you want to purposely take that in to the new year? because it's served you well up until this point and the world looks different. And so the idea that uh, the platypus is uniquely designed for what, where it lives and what it does. And when you say egg laying mammal, there are only, usually it's the echidna and the platypus that come to mind, right? Two animals that are coming in the whole world. So what I want to encourage leaders to do is think about not only are you different today than you were last year, but what is unique to you that when I say heart-centered leader, I know your listeners are thinking about people that come to mind. When I say the leader that takes in all of the information before they make a decision, that's something unique, right? And so there's a leadership strategy that you've put in place um, that could be different. Maybe it's just grown over the last couple of years, but I want you to double down on that because I want you to be able to like close your eyes. And when I say characteristic, you know who pops to mind and you know what you are known for as well as a leader. Yeah. So um, I, what I'm kind of hearing you say is that you want to be a platypus, essentially. Like you want people to go, oh, Nicole's leadership is different. She's got a duck bill, a beaver tail, and she lay, she's a mammal that lays eggs, right? So there's some mm-hmm. unique ability or unique, uh, amazing quality that makes you a superior leader. And, you know, I, I'll tell you, Julie, I I don't think it takes something so crazy, like being a uh, egg laying mammal, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. to to separate your leadership, because really there's, there's some essential things that leaders need to do. And if they were just like consistent and intentional, and, you know, dare I say this, like, I mean, the creator of all these animals was very intentional in making them unique and have different things like the hollow bones of the the penguin, or excuse me, I did it too. I used the other platypuses <laughs> <laughs> and um, pelicans today. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but you have you know you have some unique features. But I think that um, you're given those skills if you'll just like really be super intentional about them. So I'm curious, uh, talking about intentionality, um, how does the platypus? use his his unique pieces um to survive in the in the wild and then let's talk a little bit about how leaders could use their uniqueness mm-hmm. to survive the wild world of business that's out there right now the marketplace yeah yeah that's i i love how you're categorizing it because you know the, the platypus as an example um is is venomous the male is is venomous i mean you never what? think looking at this animal right um but sometimes uh, animals you wouldn't expect have defense strategies for that or ways in which they can make changes to their environment and so yeah uh, do you as a leader suddenly feel like you've had to step it up and like literally like what has been your venom and that doesn't have to be negative right that has to be like i need to just make some change or or affect this or walk into this meeting differently than I would have because, you know, we're all on Zoom and I need to just shake it up. You know, that that is okay to do because what I've found in my experience is when I work with leaders, the higher that they get on the organizational food chain, if you will, that when we get even up into the C suite, when I've asked them, what is unique about you as a leader? It's been harder and harder to answer for them because I think they've been pouring into others and they've been trying to make sure that they've been leading and innovating, but they've been pouring into others others as well. And I love having the time with them to be able to stop and say, hang on, hang on. What is that venomous moment? What is that egg laying bit? What is that webbed feet moment? Because the more you lean into that, because you're exactly right, we have it. But when we lean into it and we're intentional about it and we can voice it, 
we double down on the changes that we can make. We double down on people recognizing like, Hey, I got to call Nicole because her take on this is just going to be awesome because she always tells me the truth. And sometimes it's really hard to hear, but I really need it right now on this project. That's what we need to do. And that's how we can (laughs) find that venom as part of it or, or, or be that little unique mammal in that niche. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think about unique leaders that are out there and the ones that we know and the ones that we follow or think about, like, I just think about, um, you know, Steve Jobs or somebody like that. Okay. So he's unfortunately not with us anymore, but um, they did a whole movie about like his style and you're saying venomous. I mean, like they, if you watch the Steve Jobs movie, you're kind of like, well, seemed a little bit like he wasn't the nicest guy. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, but like, what? look what he accomplished. You know, he mm-hmm. was just, you know, you know, like no excuses. This is what we're doing. I'm going to put 5,000 uh, songs in everybody's pocket. And he did, you know, and we're going to do this new thing. And he did it through a little bit of that. You know, I'm going to make it happen. He forced things. Now you might think that's terrible, but think of all the people that are employed by Apple today and all the people who are served by all our little products today. I mean, it's amazing mm-hmm. when you think of that later. And then you're talking about like odd, I mean, excuse me, Bill Gates, if you're listening to my podcast. Um, but like, if you look at a picture of Bill Gates, he doesn't look, you know, he, he, he looks like a little nerd that worked in his garage or whatever. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that he not look like the, the greatest guy on the planet in terms of like, you know, he's super suave or whatever, but the guy is a little genius. And I think we all have like our little geniuses. And as leaders, you really need to know like kind of what your, your superpowers are, what it is that you have going for you. So although web feet might look funny, they certainly help you paddle up river, right. Or up Mm -hmm, the stream. mm -hmm, And and mm -hmm. so all of those things are really important. So I, I would say this listeners, as you're listening to this, it's like, uh, maybe here at the end of the year is to sit down and think about what are what's my unique ability? What what do I really do well? And if you don't know, I have a little exercise that uh, I got from my coach, who is Dan Sullivan. Everybody write that down. Go check him out. And uh, it's called the unique ability exercise. And really what you do is you reach out to people and you say, what do, what do I do well? And a lot of people are like, well, I, why would I ask people that? That seems a little, I don't know navel gazing, narcissistic, or no, no, no. You need to know what it is you do well so you can see it. Sometimes we're so close to what we do well, we don't realize we have web feet and mm-hmm. a dumbbell and a yeah. tail. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I love that activity. And, and when I did that about five years ago, I really it was eye-opening. I still have the papers that I wrote everything down. I reached out to 75 people and it was 75 people yeah, across. It was friends from high school and clients and colleagues and people on Facebook. And it was like, like three words, tell me in three words, like, what, what do you think of with me? And, um, it totally helped my personal branding. Maybe that's where Dan goes with it as well, but it helped my personal branding as well as exactly right. The leadership side, of it. Um, and it's not to be afraid of that. I think people get afraid of, you know, so for example, there's a leader who's a dear friend now, but, and I affectionately described him as a, describe him as a bull in a China shop. He is a bull in a China shop leader. And yeah. the reason oh, he we is, all know what that is. Yep. Right. And the reason he is, is because he does not see boundaries. His innovation side is off the charts. He is, he, I don't think he's ever heard the word. No, we don't sell out of programs our budget will figure it out. I mean, very, very financially responsible. Don't get me wrong, but he's never, ever seen a limit. And so I was great working alongside him because he was sky's the limit. And I was going, okay, yep. But we got these, all these people, we got a hundred people that work for us. Let's figure out how we're going to make it happen. But he pushed me and I pushed him and we would not have been as good without each other. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, well, let's let's do this. Let's take everybody back through. You have like three parts uh, within your framework, right? Which is change, teamwork, and resilience. Do I have that right? You got it. Okay, all right. And we've been talking about resilience, but I think a lot of people towards 2021, if you could China, let's let's spend the last few minutes of our time together today going back and thinking about change one more time. Because you know, in 2022, I, I think that leaders need to be intentional about making some serious changes and, and thinking about what could they do to make better, how do we come out of COVID in a really beautiful way? So what would you share with everybody about change? 
I think the most important thing is to recognize, I'll go back to the beginning, is recognizing that it's always going to come, but it doesn't have to be chaos. And you as the leader have the responsibility and the ability to set boundaries over change. It does not have to be continuous. It doesn't mean it's not going to keep happening, but you are able to set frameworks, set boundaries using that three-step system that we went through last time with the mangrove method. But what that does for you is it allows you to celebrate small wins. It allows you to help your people, your team, your colleagues, whoever it is, know how to participate in the change And it helps you at the end of the day, shut it off because something, a law is going to change the next day. Um, Your HR team is going to say, oh my gosh, now we have to do things differently. So we fight change and we're afraid of it. That's why I wrote about spiders and change because it's, it's fearful, Um, but there's opportunity in it. And if you can be brave enough to just like spend a second in that super uncomfortable part of change in that fear Literally imagine it's got eight legs, if that helps you and go, okay, you know, spiders have evolved. The creator, as you mentioned, put spiders in our world for a reason. Yep. Well, change is here for a reason too. My favorite quote is by uh, uh, Deming, Dr. W, Dr. W. Edwards Deming. And he said, um, you don't have to change. Survival is not mandatory. Oh my gosh. I love that. Say it again. People missed it. Say it again. What did you just say? Yeah, sorry. Dr. <laughs> Doctor- who did a ton on, on systems thinking, right. And making sure that you had the proper systems in place and processes in place. Okay. So go on. And if yeah. you've never read Deming, you need to be so nerdy and go study up on some Demings, everybody. Okay, go ahead. Study up on dumb Deming. Yeah. My dad was taught by him and, and talk about a bull in the oh, China shop leader. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> OMG, that is amazing in his life. And so, and then right? you got it, honestly, right? He shared it with I you. I know. And th- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I loved And Deming was a bull in the china shop kind of person. He was a take no prisoners, especially hold management accountable. And I love that about him. And so I'm going to read you the quote exactly. I'm looking at it. It is not necessary to change. Survival is not mandatory. So he was always talking about, right? If you're not innovating, someone's coming up behind you. As a leader, you know, I think we talked about this last time, but leadership is about leading change. If you're not leading change, what are you doing? Leading the status quo? That doesn't do anything. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yes, Deming. You got to check it out for sure. Yeah. I I work with a a team and, you know, one of the things is is that, you know, they get stuck in this, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Um, And a comment they'll make to me is, we're just not there yet. I'm like, okay, well, when are we going to take one next right step towards getting there? I mean, like, but, you know, and that what's the old, help me with the old adage, uh, every journey begins with a first step or something like that. I mean, you know, right. it's like, you got, you got to start walking people. And so, you know, the Pelican's going to rest, but he is going to go back up and he is going to dive. He's going to have to survive. He's going to have to get the fish, right? So really yeah. important. Absolutely. Okay. So don't miss this, everybody. Uh, In your book, tell us the name of the book again, if you would, please. So it's called Wisdom from the Wild, The Nine Unbreakable Laws of Leadership from the Animal Kingdom. Okay. And so we have ideas about change in there. And then the next one is teamwork. We're just, just so in case you haven't listened to the other episode, talk a little bit about teamwork for just a few moments, because then we'll have hit all three change, teamwork, and resilience. Are you writing this down out there, people? You need to write this down. Okay, go. (laughs) So teamwork from the animal kingdom. I mean, you look outside in nature and I think it's pretty obvious that animals and nature work together in teams. But what I focus on in this book is how you are leading teams. There's a lot of resources out there about how teams work together. And that's very important. But as a leader, you need to be super aware. So the activity I start them off with is a good old fashioned SWOT analysis, but assessing your leadership team, specifically team leadership skills. Where are you in that SWOT analysis? What are your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats? Because the next team you lead will be different, and they should be. And some of the teams you're leading don't look like efficient teams from the outside. That's why I use naked mole rats, because you look at naked mole rats like, well, they don't even look like they should be an animal. People didn't think they were an animal the first time we discovered them. But not only are they an animal, they're like one of the most efficient teamwork animals out there. They're like the mammal version of, they are the mammal version of bees. And then we talk about termites and and giraffes and the fact that termites and giraffes actually need each other. And who are the people on your team or that you're leading or or your other team leaders who like, oh, you're totally not like me, but I know I need you (laughs) in order to have this team be more successful. 
Okay, well, I just want to um, go back to the swap for a moment. And so, you know, one of the things is, Julie, that, you know, we're, we do this stuff every day. And, but I often forget that, like, some people may have never heard of the SWOT analysis before. And, but if you've studied it, you know, you're like, oh, that's, that's old school or whatever. I, but I want to stop and just say for a minute that what she's telling you here is really, really important. And so literally you take a square piece of paper and you put S W O and T and four different squares, um, on your piece of paper and, uh, just Google it people. But this is a very good thing to do going into 2022. And I love what you said before you start analyzing the team's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, turn the mirror inward and look at yourself. How do you do leading the team? Right. So just, just for a few moments, let's, let's think about that. So when you think about um, a leader who's strong um, and maybe you might have an analogy for this or a metaphor from the wild, what are some strengths of managing others that you think are essential, you know, that you might be able to put in that box or you might say, Oh, I don't have that one. No, don't miss Mm -hmm. this. If you have it, you put it under strengths. If you don't have it, you put it under weaknesses. (laughs) And now all of a sudden it became an opportunity for you to work on it. Um, so the SWOT analysis is genius. So what, what do you think about strengths of leaders who lead teams well? And I did hear what you say about there are different teams, so there might be different strengths, but in general. Yeah, no, I, I and I appreciate you you backing me up because a lot of times we think yeah, about SWOT from the strategic planning side and X, Y, Z. But, you know, personally, when I think about um, team team leaders, you know, the, some of the strengths could be totally comfortable with people on the team who think differently than me. Right. Um, oh, I love that one. Right. Some of the strengths, quite literally, is start and end the meetings on time. Meetings are well designed. People know how to participate. Um, some of the strengths is I reach out to the other team leaders in my organization or in my community or in my company to find out how our teams can collaborate because as the team leader, I've got to be that mouthpiece. And the last thing I'll say with strengths is also recognizing that just because I am the team leader does not always make me the best messenger for the team's outcomes. So when the team is accomplishing things, there might be a meeting where, all right, we've got to dial into, let's say marketing. If I'm over here in operations, um, got to talk to marketing, but you know what? I'm, I'm an operations person who on my team is from the marketing side. Okay. That person's the messenger. And I got to take, put my ego in the back seat in order to let, um, you know, Sally be the messenger there because she has a better uh, rapport and credibility because as a team leader, you've got to think about the outcomes, not just hanging your hat on the, you know, hat peg yourself. Yeah. Okay. So let's just work with weaknesses, opportunities, and threats just for a quick second. So weaknesses. So, you know, as I look across the board with different folks that I work with, um, you know, the one thing I love most, I'm going to go back to strengths for a second, is that they care enough to to get help and get coaching. So being coachable is a huge strength too, Mm -hmm. right? So so knowing that you might need some help learning to develop those relational skills needed, you know, to, to mm-hmm. work with folks. Now, in terms of weaknesses, I, I will say that communication pops up there a lot, you know, mm-hmm. I, and, and maybe holding people accountable is a big one I run into a lot and not setting proper expectations. What, what are some of the weaknesses that you find yourself consistently working on that might inform you all about something you might need to work on? Yeah, I, I love those, Nicole. And I think also not dealing with conflict as quickly as you need to, because if you oh. let that fester, right, you're going to just eat it away at it. And the way you deal with conflict is very, very important. And having respect, you never want to diminish the quality of the people. You know, you I, I, you know, you want to come from a place of assuming that people are coming from good intentions, which which they should be. <laughs> and um, and so to deal with that well, you've got to deal with it early, and you've got to deal with it directly, and talk from the team's point of view, especially if you're not directly managing that person. If you're dealing with a team that's across divisions in your company, that can get super tricky. I would say another another weakness is being unclear as to the different roles that participants have and the ways in which they can participate. You know, we get to this point as a leader and we just, well, here's a team and we just assume that everybody knows how to participate. And that is not the case. And you can be... Um, self-effacing about that, right? Like, let's, let's just start from the ground up. Let's just, here's how I need you to participate. Because if you have somebody sitting on your team and they're not vocally participating, sometimes it's because they need more time to think 
Right. Um, but sometimes right. it's because they don't be that feel introvert, good. just like you. Right. Or those, right. Yep. Or those process thinkers Like you can see the process thinkers in the team meeting. And if it's an ongoing team, then hopefully you've created the environment in which they will eventually participate. But if not, you're missing out on their input, um, but also just wasting somebody's time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I love that. So uh, I have this little thing um, called group norms. Um, mm. it, I learned this and I forget what the name of this class was I took, but it was uh, team dynamics or something like that. Mm. And this was a crazy class, uh, but it was, it was so helpful. And one of the things that they told me is that like, when you start with a team, uh, you can say, these will be the normal ways we behave. And you can just tell people, this is what we're going to do. And people are like, okay. You know, I mean, yeah. And, but yeah. for some reason we think it might be condescending or talking down to people or if we don't yeah. establish those rules. So I, I love what yeah. you're talking about. That's well, fantastic. And, and- can I throw just one more thing in there, which which surprised me? Um, but yeah. in dealing with you know, in working with clients, you know, sometimes I've found that team leaders are not always willing to address the use of phones in meetings. You know, I and I've oh, seen that yeah. eat eat away at the team culture very very quickly. And there's a total difference between oh, I got an urgent text or I got to step outside and use a phone call, get a phone call. Like that totally makes sense depending on the industry you're in. But then there's you know team dynamics like that weakness of that leader. Like if you've got somebody texting for 30 minutes in your meeting, people are watching and they're watching how you lead and they're gonna start they're they're gonna start as a reflection on you as a leader as that team leader, not just the person in the back of the room. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so when we talk about weaknesses and so I'm going to flip this over to opportunities, but like the opportunity, like at the beginning of the year, one of the opportunities might be sitting right there is to like, what you said, like reestablish, reground everybody and say, okay, here's what I'd like to do moving forward. You know, some, maybe some um, habits and things that, you know, have slipped in over the last few years and crazy COVID. I'd like to reestablish mm-hmm. how we're going to be with each other. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I was working with a gentleman who was a very high senior VP and he was telling me that um, he got hired and he went into the meeting and he like, he pulled out his left laptop and he opened it up and he got his phone and he had all his electronics and the CEO was like can you put all that away please (laughs) and he was like yeah "Uh, yeah, I can put it away and he's like good here I'm going to give you a pencil and a legal pad if you need to take notes here you go but basically what I'm here for is to talk to you all and have dialogue so yeah huge opportunity like we're so delusional we think we can multitask (laughs) Do you think it's a a myth, Julie? Does the animal kingdom tell us it's a myth, multitasking? (laughs) Right? Yeah, no, I I think animals are pretty targeted and it's goes with that that conservation of energy and they know what they're designed to do and they do that. Um, And they rope other animals in to do the different things. But I love your example, Nicole, because I got hired by a company specifically for that. The CEO brought me in because he's like, okay, clearly I'm not communicating effectively with my senior leaders because when they go into our owners meeting and our board meetings, they come in and they just they're not the team that I want them to be. And that's huge when you're talking board, you're talking owners, et cetera. Right. And yeah, you have, again, that's like, sometimes we get up higher in the uh, the food chain or we get up, just been there longer and we forget that, wait a minute, wait a minute. It really is just about relationships and good ideas. Yes. Yes. And um, one thing too, and I've shared this before on the podcast, but I think it bears repeating is, you know, the leaders, one of the major jobs of leaders, and I like what you said, uh, the other animals rope people in to do the other parts of the job. The leader, their job is to understand that when you have more than one human in the room, or maybe one animal, one beaver building the dam or whatever, uh, one platypus doing whatever, it's the it's the culmination of that energy together that creates things that never existed before. I mean, I could come up with some creative ideas, but if I call up my friend Julie Henry and then I call up my friend over here and my friend over there and we get all the genius in the room, then we're, it's going to be a better idea than if I just keep it to myself. So you've got to glean the genius, the working efficiencies out of the people. And so I'm hearing a big emphasis on meetings and everything you're sharing. This must be a, a big opportunity too, is to have better meetings. Am I hearing that clearly from you? 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you're pulling that out. And I think I'm using that example so readily because I feel like that's something that people have been dealing with so crazily in the last year, right? As meetings right, have gone we're doing Zoom in all these different ways, right? Right. And we've totally had to invent how we interact with people. Um, but I think without good team function, just like to me, leadership is about leading change. The point of a company and the point of an organization is working together as a team. A company and an organization is not a just group of people. Group of Groups of people don't accomplish things. Teams accomplish things. And so that's why it's so important to think about, you know, how you're establishing this team, who's on the team, how you're reaching out, et cetera, and the opportunities that you have across the landscape and looking out at the market research or whatever that is, that proactive side of leadership, that's where the opportunities on that slot comes in, is how to drive things forward, how to take chances. I mean, I've when I've led, led teams before, you know, and I've taken team members on retreats and I've, I've had a situation where I'm, I put them all in a room, like let's close, like literally turn off the lights and like, let's, let's think about things in new ways in the dark, because I got to change it up. We got to change up the norm and that's an opportunity. Yeah. Well, so we have covered strengths, weaknesses, opportunities. And so I think if you don't do the SWAT, you don't sit down and do some strategic planning. And I do have some tools. Uh, Julie, feel free to offer what you can. But I do. I have a 2022 strategic planning document. If you want to email me, Nicole at VibrantCoaching.com, I'll be glad to send it to you. Um, I think really the threat would be not to do your homework before the end of the year. That's the biggest threat I see. It's like to just say, look, let's see what unfolds. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you're right. Because you do that. No, because teams don't function on their own. They function with leadership. Families don't function without parents. I mean, there's, I mean, ecosystems, I mean, watch, watch how the animals interacting. I mean, there's so many examples in nature where animals are learning from the people who are the animals that have gone before. And so I, I love it. I love the threat is you, you've got to do your homework. Otherwise um, you're not taking responsibility as a leader, but also you're not, you're not uh, charging ahead like you can. That's exactly right. Okay. Well, I have spent another hour of your time <laughs> talking to you about uh, the wonderful way that the wild teaches us how to do business. And it is wild out there right now. So I would definitely suggest you get Julie's book. Julie, will you share the name of your book one more time and how people can get up with you? We would love to be able to reach out to you. Yeah, thanks. It's called Wisdom from the Wild, The Nine Unbreakable Laws of Leadership from the Animal Kingdom. And it's actually out on Amazon right now. Um, and also from your favorite local bookstore, it's on Kindle. Um, you'll be able to see it in airports after the new year. And it's out there and it's a resource for you. And I look forward to seeing where people find themselves and the stories and what resonates for them. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Julie Henry, for being on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. It's been a delight. Awesome. Thank you. Ready to build your vibrant culture? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her strategies, systems, and smarts to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Your organization will get lit from within. Email Nicole at NicoleGreer.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at NicoleGreer.com.